0: Welcome to Podcast on Fire, my name is Kenneby and this is the first part out of two of our interview with actress, martial artist and stuntwoman Sophia Crawford. From Hong Kong Action Cinema Mainstay to Power Rangers and Buffy. We're gonna get to it all, and I'm gonna let her tell her story shortly. But first of all, some very brief contact information. This is Podcast on Fire, and a little sub sub series subsection that deals in interviews. And Podcast on Fire is located on podcastonfire.com, along with all our other. ...shows on this network that also covers Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, Slazy Cinema. We have bonus episodes and also an interview archive that you are welcome to explore. Let us know what you think of these uh, interviews. I would very much appreciate that uh, feedback. Yeah, we have an email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. If you want to join us on social media, click the handy buttons at the top of our website, first leading to Facebook... That the link leads to our page, but we also have a discussion group that you can reach by typing in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar or just follow the link in the show post. And the group contains show updates and discussion and good natured banter between us all, so welcome in, we're a friendly bunch. And by the way, if this is your first uh, tune-in visit to Podcast on Fire, thank you very much. Hope you like this interview, hope we have something to offer up. Uh, for you here on the network and uh, thank you very much for your support uh, click the twitter button to reach our twitter feed click the itunes button to subscribe to us on itunes and if you are an itunes user we would very much appreciate if you left a star rating an honest star rating and even a small written comment uh, about the show good or bad about the network good or bad even and uh, that would very much be appreciated too. I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese uh, movies, uh, covering uh, a wide variety of genres as well. Everything from action to exploitation, and uh, Taiwanese uh, children's movies and movies that have involved Sophia Crawford as well. So good is the address. I have a little video hub where I post my video reviews. That's sleazykvideo.com. And my tweets are available at So Good Reviews. So that's it for now obviously we're going to cut to my chat with Sophia Crawford and this is part one of two so hope you enjoy and here we go And welcome back everybody and I'm very pleased and honored to welcome to podcast on fire and our virtual interview studio if you will a woman who's a veteran of 20 hong kong movies uh, with an emphasis on action but she concluded that chapter by opening several new in the process uh, several new inspiring ones in the west and if all that sounds vague it's because we're going to let her tell her story and it's therefore my pleasure to welcome english actors martial artist and stuntwoman sophia crawford to the show so how are you this morning and welcome
1: I'm oh, very good. Thank you, Kenneth. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Uh, that's our pleasure indeed. And uh, we, we're always uh, chuffed to get uh, a Westerners perspective on the sometimes madness of making Hong Kong movies, whether mid 80s, late 80s, uh, beginning of 90s. And you were certainly part of that um, at the golden era. And uh, yes. it's going to be it's going to be fun to hear some of those stories, I suppose. But We do set our sights on origin points, so that means we start with, uh, where were you born, as a matter of fact?
1: Well, I was actually born in London, in Hammersmith. I was there until I was about three years old. Um, I'm actually a triplet. There was five children in our family, and mother and father. We moved, when I was about uh, three years old, to the English countryside. A very, very, very small village, uh, about 30 miles outside of London, and it was essentially a farm town. You know, lots of cows and greenery and pastures. It was absolutely gorgeous. And we moved into a um, a kind of derelict old vicarage. My mother had fallen in love with it and was determined to uh, remodel it and renovate it. So we moved into this very, very large house perched on a hill with a beautiful panoramic view. But, but <laughs> on the exterior, it looked all wonderful, and oh, I bet they've got masses of money and this and that. But in in reality, it was absolutely a mess inside. It didn't have any floors, and, <laughs> and uh, you did an awful lot of work, which is why my mum managed to give, you know my family got it for a very very decent price, and and um, so I essentially grew up for most of my time um, in this in this beautiful. Uh, countryside um, with my family.
0: Why would one ever leave such a uh, such a vista? But you you certainly left for for great vistas, and then and uh, then some um, uh, in in uh, not in your later years, but but later certainly. But you know, still when looking back on 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 that that, that upbringing and those sites and those conditions, uh, do you ever look back and think like this was such a like or rather what was such a crucial? part of my life's journey like do, do, do you think back on England being such a crucial part of that journey is there anything that you're zeroing zero you know?
1: well the funny, funny thing is looking back on it now you know sometimes I was I think to myself oh how I wish I had been somewhere where I could have had um, access to training I wish I could have started at a younger age I wish I could have done gymnastics and martial arts and all of this growing up but then you know I'm so grateful for those years that I spent as a tomboy, mm-hmm. basically just running amok through the fields with my friends and my sisters and really, really enjoying the countryside. And I am, you know, I just, I, I, I'm like, well, you know, now that I, I'm older and everything, I, I look at that as being a very precious time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very innocent time and um you know i don't worry about it too much you know obviously i got into my training late much later on and it was a bit later than than most people would have started you know there's that side of it but that was where i was at you know that was where i was i started from and um you know things happened along the way that um made me feel that i needed to it would be better for me to leave you know that I would have more chance at perhaps having a career in things because there were certain things that happened to me in my childhood and and things and my my mother passed away when I was very young and um, my father was a an economist and he was very he worked for The Sunday Times and he was a very um, academic man, and he would drive from our little house in our house in the countryside, about thirty miles into London, every day. So he would leave the house at like, you know, six thirty, seven thirty in the morning, and he often wouldn't return till midnight. So oh, jeez. The, the thing that happened is basically when my mother passed. You know, the, the the my older sister went to boarding school. My my brother went to the Yukon. My my one of my triplet sisters went to boarding school. And Ingrid and I just kind of had the, you know, the freedom and to do whatever we wanted. There wasn't anybody watching over us or overseeing what we were doing or even overseeing whether we were actually even going to school.
0: Hmm.
1: So eventually, what happened was we sort of became quite rebellious, and I ended up, you know, missing school and sort of hanging out in London and. Um, I joined the whole punk movement. I, I, I see that you have a mohawk, and it's funny. Because I'm,
0: I'm, I'm a latecomer to the punk I movement.
1: I did all that. I did all that. I was <laughs> I was one of the punks on the on the King's Road in the 80s. You know, getting pictures taken by all the tourists, wow. and you know, I mean, it was um, a really, really, really crazy time. You know, there was I just had so much freedom to just do whatever I want, and there are pros and cons to that. Okay, so but. What happened was I ended up, you know, kind of getting in trouble a lot at school. I ended up fighting a bit and I got expelled from dyeing my hair and all these crazy things and I ended up I think I went through about five different schools until finally it the Kent County Council, which is the county that we were staying in, said, Look, you know, um we're going to have to send a taxi to the house to drive her to the vicar's wife to try to give her some sort of education. And I sat with the vicar's wife for a bit and took a couple of exams um, in a couple of different schools I had never been to before. I did miserably. And I'm not surprised because I had really fallen behind in, in my education And um, I just started going down a bit of a dark path. And and I wasn't happy with it. And I knew that I didn't have a plan. And I didn't have goals. And what the hell was I going to do? And I just, me and my sister, she was sort of in the same boat, Ingrid. So we just said, look, let's just just go. And we had um, seen an advertisement in the Time Out magazine, which was a magazine that was current at that time and it was advertising this bus trip and it was an overland bus trip um, being driven by uh, the, the same guy that had driven the magic bus in the 1960s and he had wanted to put together a small group of people to drive this school bus from London to India and go over the same path that he had driven 20 years earlier. This oh. was 1996 because he wanted to see what had changed in the 20 years that he'd driven since they'd driven it. So it was only 200 pounds. So I was working in a, as a waitress and um, I got the money together, bought a rucksack and we just said to our dad, we're off. You know, he drove us to Victoria Station, put us on the bus. And I remember very clearly looking out the back window. We headed straight to the back of the bus, which is how we always traveled. <laughs> <Straight> <laughs> to the back. And I waved goodbye to my dad in his white Volvo. But I thought I would be coming home again, you know, in about you know, six months or so. But everything changed. Everything changed once I started the trip. It was one of these trips that was, you know, it was a backpacking trip. Um, So we all had a tent and we basically drove through Europe and then we went through Iran and Pakistan and through into India. And I mean, there were so many events and adventures and things that happened on that trip that I have you know, uh, very fond memories for scary memories. Lots of things happened, you know, great things, bad things. Fifteen people started, eight people finished. It was not. <laughs> it sounds, was sounds not, dark. Well, it was not an easy thing because we slept in tents. And sometimes in Europe, it was really, really freezing. We woke up with icicles on our eyelashes and drank matexa in Greece to try to, I mean, it was like you would go, we stayed off the beaten track, we would only stay in the cities when we needed to. All the other times we would stay in small, tiny villages or just in the boondocks. And then we would be allotted each time uh, we went to a, a, a town or a city, two people were assigned to go into the marketplace, buy food come back and cook food on the campfire Um, so and we had a rotation system where each everybody was you know rotated and so Ingrid and I always had fun time when it was our days to cook we really really enjoyed it because when our mother died um, we I mean we started cooking and and cleaning and taking care of ourselves from the age of nine so we were very very adept at, at cooking and stuff like that so I think (laughs) <laughs> we became when we when it was our turn to go out and get the food and stuff. Everybody was like, "Yeah, it's Ingrid <laughs> and Sophia, because they knew they'd get a good meal. That trip was absolutely fascinating. But it, what happened was, when you're traveling across country and to, you often we would meet travelers that were coming from the east and they would we would love to always hang out and very very chatty we talked to a lot of people we always sort of went into the marketplace and hung out as much as we could with locals and ate locally and everything like that but they always came back with these most amazing stories of you thailand and bali and and you know hong kong and japan and the further i le- went away from england the more i realized that i wanted to just keep going. I had had no intention of going back. It was like, this is it. I just want to keep going and see what I can discover and what perhaps I can do for myself because I realised that I was at a complete dead end, um, much to my own destruction in in England. And if I didn't do something about it, then I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me.
0: It's kind of a blessing it sounds like in a way because you were not going in on this journey, knowing from media you know the uh, t v and so forth what exactly was ahead of you anything you you it sounded like you went into on um, this trip from scratch and took in these experiences as they came, good or bad experiences, and it almost sounds like that path of discovery became your own individual path rather than some. Preconceived notion of what India is going to be like, what Thailand is going to be like. And um...
1: I had no, uh, because we didn't have a television growing up. I mean, we later on got a black and white, small black and white television, but we never watched it. We were always outdoors. I was a tomboy, you know, just playing and, and this kind of stuff. And, um, we didn't have magazines and stuff sent to the house. There was, there was very little media in our house, except for the financial times. My my father's head was buried in it and he had mountains and mountains of it. Um, so it was basically, um, uh, the TV was used for a Saturday night when we used to watch Hammer House of Horror and Sweet. we would have a hot tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I used to love watching the old Hammer House films. We loved watching um, that stuff growing up. And, and I think I used to watch the New Avengers when that came around and I, I absolutely adored that and was inspired by Purdy. Um, but at that time I had no idea why. Um, and really, I knew nothing about martial arts at that time, dare I say it. I mean, I knew who Bruce
0: Lee was, but... It's not, it's not a bad leap off point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, people are kind of surprised. Like, oh my God, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And I'm like, no, not till later.
0: Well, heck, what you did was something they didn't do, right? So it's still an individual path that you went on that uh, no, 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 no one can ever take away from you.
1: No, and everybody has their individual path, every stunt person, every actor, anybody that you talk to. I mean, I've sat down on the set and listened to some of the most fascinating stories, and I think my story is kind of boring in comparison. I mean, everybody has their own path and is, you know, and it however it's a very difficult industry to get into um so and especially in hong kong it was a very very tight industry but i didn't know that back then i only realized that in in looking back at it now
0: you know did did you uh, is it true that the uh when you ended up in thailand uh, that that you encountered uh either cast a crew or the set of kickboxer or um am i completely off base in terms of that
1: no no you're absolutely right when i um so after we got off the bus in india i'll just keep this really short my sister and i jumped off and then we traveled down the coast you know all the way down to goa and did that whole backpacking trip. We spent about another four or five months in India and then through to Calcutta up to Nepal and a few months in Nepal. And then we hopped on over to Thailand and Ingrid, you know, ended up going back to England. Um, She wanted to go to South America. She'd asked me if I wanted to go. And, and I just said, I'm so sorry, Ingrid. I said, I don't know what it is about Thailand, but there's something here. I feel like I need to stay here. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved the people. I absolutely loved the, everything about Thailand. And so what I did was I found a room in a sort of a, a lodging where it was just for women. And um, I got talking to the women there. And um, I managed, I'd started, to, um, what, what happened was... <laughs> the women when they found I was English they started knocking on my door asking if I could write letters to their western boyfriends (laughs) (laughs) so I started sitting down and chatting with them and they were lovely girls many of them worked in clubs and stuff like that and were trying to make ends meet and, Mm. and all this kind of stuff and I and um and I found that even though my tie was very very bad I communicated very well with people and I thought well maybe you know to make money I could teach English here and so I ended up getting a job at the Central Plaza Hotel and I was teaching the staff there um, English and while I was working at the Central Plaza Hotel they asked me to if I would model for a brochure I was like oh god me a model <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay if you want. So I did that, and apparently I did a good job, and I joined Central Casting, and then Central Casting called me to be an extra on um, Around the World in Eighty Days with Pierce Brosnan and Julian Nixon. So I went and shot that, and oh god, I was like, oh god, this is it, this is it, this is what I want to do. And then I did kickboxer. Was it
0: that uh, was it that impactful? I'm, I'm I'm not saying this in a dismissive way, just being an extra. But what was the the atmosphere, the aura of the movie set, or the the creativity in the air—was that a, something that struck you hard?
1: It was the creativity. I was watching all the different departments, and watching how they uh, how they collaborated, and then just the whole vibe on set. And also, um, I'm very—I ch- just—I always love to talk to a lot of people and so I really enjoyed being in a big crew and and chatting with everybody and hearing their stories Mm -hmm. um so I thought oh god if you could do this every day you know I'd be very very happy and get paid for it and be go to these amazing locations absolutely love traveling and so on that first project um around the world in 80 days we went deep into the jungle and we were shooting on this train it was very very hot and very very humid and we were in these very big um period dresses and i was sweating my ass off on this train I was like, I don't care. Uh, But I I didn't, you know, I was just, it was just a great unique experience for me, I guess, because I'd never had anything like it. And, you know, all of the work that I'd been sort of thinking about doing back in London involved maybe sitting behind a desk. I mean, I went to a typing school, tried to learn how to type. And I was just like, oh, God, I just, I can't sit behind this desk every day. It's going to drive me mad. So yeah I just felt that the physicality of it and in some sense you know just the fact that I would had the opportunity to perhaps travel to places that I'd never been to before and couldn't afford to go to um I was like oh yeah you know
0: and this is what 200 pounds gets you you know uh, plenty of experiences already right like like <laughs> like uh, from that point up to this point with Thailand and uh, and kickboxing uh, what was the specifics on Kickboxer in terms of um what you did on on the show?
1: I just worked as an extra, you know, and all I did was, uh, there's a scene with Haskell Anderson and John Claude sitting in, I guess it's some type type of nightclub and I'm sitting there in the background and you can see me with the dark hair, but you'd never recognise me because I did have dark hair back then. But this was that also one of the things about this film, particular film, is working in Thailand, most of the camera equipment came from Salon Films, which came from Hong Kong. So many of the, the camera department were from Hong Kong. And I was remember chatting to one of the camera guys, I think about actually maybe the AD, and he was saying to me, you know, I was talking to him and I was saying, look, you know, I'm not really sure what what I'm going to do in Thailand because I'm having problems with my work permit I'm not quite sure how much longer I can stay here or what to do about it and I don't want to go to England and maybe do you have any advice and he said well I don't even understand why what you're doing here anyway most of the films are made in Hong Kong and you're British citizen right you have a British passport why don't you go to Hong Kong it's a British policy and I thought uh, duh. <laughs> I absolutely love it. But look, if I want to make films and I'm serious about making films, then I probably had better go to Hong Kong and, and see if I could try there. I sold my backpack and got rid of my room. And after I'd finished that movie, I was I found myself in Hong Kong relatively quickly with just a plastic bag and, and thinking, OK, I'm here now. What do I do now?
0: It's so crazy sometimes to think of these stories, especially if, if you, uh, when you get older and reflect, how sometimes it, it seems like you go into some places, so, some travels, some countries without a safety net. But some, I don't know, in the moment it doesn't feel like I need, I need a safety net. Otherwise, I won't go. It just sounds like, yeah, that that surely is the straight arrow forward.
1: I never, I never worried about that. I never worried about being broke. I never worried about. What the conditions were, where I was sleeping—none of that mattered to me at all. Um, and you know, a lot of the conditions, you know, were were very bad and very poor. And there were times where all I had to eat was a couple of hard-boiled eggs, maybe a can of tuna if I was lucky, because uh, that was all I could afford. I and you know, um, I I slept
0: in very dumpy places. <laughs>
1: Um, but I didn't care. I honestly didn't care. It was better than sleeping in a sleeping bag on the street.
0: Hey, it's that mixture, I guess, of uh, what drive you have currently in you and, and you adjust to current conditions anyway. Yeah. I, you know, when all of a sudden I, don't, I think we're all uh, apt at that uh, When if we were to try that like these are your conditions and you can move forward with just these things
1: here's the thing if you always just wait for everything to fall in place perfectly before you go do something you're never going to do anything that's right So I took opportunities as they arose and and that often always came through just chatting with people. You know, and I, I, and I and I had some help, you know, along the way. I would say I can't say, Oh, I did everything on my own. No, I didn't. Um, I when I got to Hong Kong and I, I did basically what I did when I was travelling, um, I went to Chungking Mansions, which was kind of the famous place where everybody was all the backpackers stayed. Mm. And so I went there, and I and I'm I ran into Mark Houghton and Steve Tartaglia and and uh, Bruce Fontaine and, and a bunch of people, the Western guys that were working in Hong Kong films at that time. And so they, I was I went to them, and um, hung out with them, and just basically grilled them and asked them a lot of questions about what are you doing, how do you get in. Um, this kind of thing, and then I joined a modeling agency, and um, and then decided to try to gather pictures and things like that. And then I went to the phone booth, which nowadays are
0: almost non-existent. Hey kids, let, let us explain to you about phone booths for. <laughs>
1: right. we to the phone booth and pulled out the yellow pages, and um, I looked up all the film studios that were there in Hong Kong. And so I wrote down the addresses, and I just went and visited each and every one of them, and I went in and I took some photographs, and and I said, hi, you know, I'm Sophia, I'm an actress, and I would really, really love to work. And through that, I got an audition for um, Who Cares?,
0: yeah, the the uh, order of movies sometimes is a little bit hard to determine which came first because I think sometimes movies uh, sit for a little while then come out. I mean, in in 1990, 1991, there were so many movies being made, so uh, so so I, I I didn't know which one you ended up. at first, I know when I did my research, the one I ended up at first, just uh, to to rewatch a couple of things was uh, because there's a connection to working with uh, distinct. Action filmmakers on one of your first shows, and uh, I, I rewatched uh, New Kids in Town.
1: But Kenny, I actually think that's the same film. Oh, sure.
0: <laughs> well, well, there are two movies. The, 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 the 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 things,
1: they changed the bloody title. Yeah. Like.
0: <laughs> well, well um, I know there's a separate movie called Who Cares, too. But well, you, maybe,
1: maybe it wasn't that Who Cares. Then. Maybe you're right and I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> but they, regardless, uh, on, on that show, you had both uh, on and off screen uh, talents, such as uh, Lau Ga Lung, and he, I believe his nephew directed that movie. So. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's it. That was the first one. New Kids in Town. Oh my God. Which one was? cares i can't even remember i i
0: I don't think i've seen that one it's probably buried on vcd or something like that out out of old movies to come out of hong kong but were you at all familiar with what hong kong action cinema had done uh you know post bruce lee and what have you
1: no everything was brand new i didn't know who lao gano was um i didn't how could i you know i i was very rapidly trying to educate myself, um, through talking to the guys. And, um, I started to, I spent most of my days and a lot of my money going to the video stores and renting videos and watching Hong Kong films. I didn't know who he was. And maybe that's actually kind of a good thing when I auditioned for him, uh, because I wasn't overwhelmed and intimidated by his stature. And, you know what i mean sometimes if you know the background of somebody you 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 know you can kind of freeze up a little bit but i didn't
0: it becomes a bit more sincere i think um, it's uh, it's more i don't know professional rather than uh, awe inspiring at the same time that might and and that might squash you know creativity and professionalism if you're just in awe of, some, of someone
1: so i went into this audition and um and i was very clear about my background um, I said to them, look, you know, I, I've had some fights in schools, but I've never trained in martial arts. I've, I'm very gung-ho and um, eager to learn. We There was another girl there, and the fight coordinator basically went through the action and um, just said to me, look, I'm going to show you what the action is, and I just want you to copy it to both of us, me and the other girl. So she went first, and she did it, and then I went, and... After I'd finished, um, before I even left, he told me that I had the job. And personally, I was actually kind of shocked because I was like, oh, God, I thought I did a horrible job. Um, but he said to me, he said, look, you know, I, I can see that you don't have training yet. But I, li- I really like the the your heart. He says, you've got heart. I can see that. Wow. And, and um, you should train. And I said, I'm going to train. Believe me. I'm going to I wasn't quite prepared for that first movie. And obviously when I look at that first movie and and some of the films that I'd done in Hong Kong, I'm like, oh, God, it's um, (laughs) clearly I'm not a martial artist. You know, for me, what people don't realize is a lot, you know, some of you can see my training practically on film as I go along. And hopefully as I went along in Hong Kong, I improved, you know, after each film, I got better and got better and got better. And there were a couple of times that I got doubled by one of the guys, um, especially earlier on, later on, when I'd had more experience with wire work. I think my first wire gag was when I did worked on um with Moon Lee and Yukari, but there were a couple of times when they absolutely wouldn't let me do it. It was very much no, no, no we've got one of the guys to do this and there were a couple of times when maybe I would have liked to double, I was like (laughs) but um, no that was very very earlier on and later on maybe I wasn't doubled as much but there were just a couple of shots here and there, everybody's doubled, I'm sorry I don't care, if you come out and say oh no I never had a double you're probably not telling the truth, you can clearly see it, as a stunt woman I can clearly see when somebody's doubled, you know Cynthia was doubled a lot of times and, and so were the guys, I mean we all
0: It's a testament though to to how well sometimes Hong Kong cinema, Hong Kong action cinema does stunt doubling because sometimes I don't pick it up, sometimes it's way too obvious and you just sort of think like well, they didn't have a lot of time to do it on the show, it needs to move forward and you know, that second doesn't matter for the enjoyment of the film that it looked like Cynthia was doubled by someone in a a wig or anything but... um, And there's
1: absolutely no shame in it, I mean come on you know this is a business and this is what you know you're trying to actually trying to keep people safe so
0: i, I really admire that you built that uh, and you had that built in that drive to improve and learn and absorb and all of that and then you within all of this you do, do you kick off your actual martial arts training and not just fighting for film within uh, within uh, working in hong kong films as well or how did that journey go
1: well, I started my, my martial arts journey. I actually started training with, in the, initially, with Rambo Rambo Kong. Here and he, you know, passed away not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and I um, had a good friendship, and we used to train together in Kowloon Park. And he really started me off with the basics and some gymnastics and stuff like that. And we trained very regularly in the park. And then occasionally I would train with um, Mark or Steve or, or whichever guys were available. I'd jump. They were having sessions constantly and I'd just jump in with them. Mm-hmm. And then I also um, trained a bit with Yukari once we had worked together. And then I trained also over at Mid-City Gym and joined Gary Chow's classes That particular time actually went very, very quickly for me. But when I came to America, then I started training in Taekwondo with Jun Chong, Danny Gibson and um, uh, Simon Rhee and and started, you know, training for belts and and, and this kind of thing. Um, But I never was training for belts and things like that in um, Hong Kong. It was always mostly the focus was on stunt fighting and, and camera.
0: I'm kind of always curious and I half know but still it's still a unique answer each and every time about how work opportunities present themselves in Hong Kong. Obviously you described the way you got uh, the ball rolling in terms of uh, some of the first gigs but I, I have spoken to multiple westerners and they obviously mentioned that classic aspect of receiving full scripts is simply not going to happen especially not for action movies because they're made up on made up as they go along and uh, that's the charm and it shows at the same time but still when, when I look at your credits uh, some Movies were a bit more uh, international in flavor, and some clearly local. So, how how much of a sort of a lead time do you get before having to start shoot a you know a Cypress Tigers or Angel Terminators two or Hero Beyond the Boundary of Time or is it super quick the way these things um, happen? Super super
1: super quick, um, and really? I never I guess, super 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 quick, and I never once saw a script. I never once got a breakdown of my character I never once got any I really wasn't I was very I was usually just told that I was going to fight and who I was going to fight with uh so I didn't know what the story was about just the genre oh it's a comedy oh it's this it's that it's you know no I I I <laughs> improvised quite a bit and watched what was going on mostly and or some most sometimes it was very difficult to understand what was going on because I wasn't fluent in the language. I could only pick up a few words here and there. And I would have a translator that would give me a piece of paper right before I went on camera and saying, you're going to say this in, in uh, Cantonese, um, memorize it. And then what I would do was I would memorize it. And then if I forgot the dialogue, I would start counting numbers.
0: Right. yeah, I've heard that before. They they shove yes. people in front of the camera, <laughs> count to 10, we'll dab it afterwards.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you got kind of good like that. And so it was very animated. You know, it's funny. I mean, that actually worked well for me later on when I ended up doing Power Rangers because I was animated in my movements and which you are over there. Um, the subtleties were you know, it wasn't very subtle, so I, I um, as you know, when you do that, you know, you know that thing where you've got the gun, you point it, you look at it, you make a big expression, and then you dart forward, or mm. you turn your head really fast, and all your movements are very quick, and you know what I mean, methodical, so anyway... But I didn't. I mean, that made no difference to me. It was all part of the experience and part of, you know, the charm back then. And that's how they operated. And, you know, we didn't, most of the equipment wasn't very good. We were still using very, very thin cable, which snapped very, very frequently. We were um falling onto mattresses and boxes, there was there were no proper harnesses, we were using leather straps and, and things like that. Everything was sort of put together quite shoddily, I might add but yet the cameraman I was always the way they shot the films the way the 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 efficiency of and the speed of the productions and the creativity of the content that they were they were filming the action the design the the, the stunts the falls i was absolutely in I looked at these guys and I thought, how the hell are you standing? My God. And I saw a lot of accidents there, you know, and and that was just all part of it back then. And it was very, very, very unique, you know, and really, really. And you you look at the films nowadays and you you look at, watch them, and and you can only imagine what it was like to be shooting it at that time because it was very different now.
0: It's gonna remain uh, timeless that era because nothing can replace physicality like that, and nothing can replace working so fast and thinking on your feet like these makers yeah. did, whether they were making uh, fast comedies or uh, fast, um, fast action movies.
1: Very good experience for me, for me, for later on because it meant that look. You know, you don't get married to a certain routine. It's like if things aren't working, you change it instantly. So you really had to learn to adapt very, very quickly, whether it was action or whatever was going on. It it, it was actually kind of a good lesson, you know, being able to adapt quickly
0: and and going from um, going to the west or from the west and um, in terms of uh, working on movies in the west first and going to hong kong the, your experience was vice versa you came from this gung ho hard as nails type of cinema that you where you had to be hard as nails and it or sometimes mm. it sounds like going to the west uh, is either either easy or it's too rigid because you need to adjust to your new rules and regulations i.e. Mm-hmm. I. you go from no rules and regulations to an actual rule system
1: yeah there's a lot more comfort in the west and, and also you've got contracts and things like that i never had contracts initially i think the last film that i did was my biggest payday and a proper contract and all that but everything else was i mean sometimes i'd have to chase down my money you know i've been paid cash and i didn't get it and I had to go and find it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're your own uh, representation, I suppose, um uh, especially during that time, I can just imagine that you're your own you're your own sort of um uh, agent for lack of a You're better word
1: responsible for your own loss <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you uh you mentioned that um uh, with you know seeing injuries and why are snapping and all of that considering that you've done some wire work and some challenging wire work did you ever did you ever take some bumps that actually ended up being an injury in the end
1: no i had a lot a couple of close calls i mean I, you know bruises and stuff on um which film was it called it was that movie hero from beyond you know with mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Uh, Kim Won Jin, uh, amazing talent he is. But scorpion king. Yeah. yeah, God, I loved him. He was so cool. He was such a nice person. I I shouldn't talk about him in the past. He's still alive and very, 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 very very, very active and still amazing. Um, But he was a sweetheart. And uh, we did a lot of wire work in that film. And there was one shot when I was on top of the roof and I got hooked up and I had to run along the top of the roof, and then fly, okay? So I had this big, long cloak on, which was very, very heavy. And um, we were about 45 feet up, and I started running, and I felt the wire pick me up. And then when I was about seven or eight feet off the ground, the wire snapped. Oh jeez. And so I fell. And but it wasn't it was a hard landing, but not not a big deal. The thing about it was was that I was so thankful it snapped when it did, because in the shot I run, or oh, no, you can't see it on the take, and the wire picks me up, but it carries me over the edge. And there's no there were no pads or airbags or Anything to prevent me from falling if the wire had snapped just a few seconds later, things like that, you just go, Oh, wow, I was lucky wasn 't I you know and then it snapped a few times when I fell onto some rails and you know and just got bruised and cut and stuff, you know, and I think it snapped one time when I was down in the Philippines, but you know, and I saw it snap on a guy in the Philippines, which was a bad fall for him wow. uh, when we were doing um what was that movie in the Philippines now, uh, Raging Cop. And I'd seen it with other people too, behind the scenes stuff. and uh, But that was, you know, it was, it was just, that was what they had. To, that was what they had to work with back then. It was only later on that they, you know, uh, brought all the equipment up to date. And then they went and got proper harnesses. They came over to America, got, got harnesses from Anspec, They got airbags they, and everything started changing.
0: They were never discouraged, though. That was the uh, fun for us as viewers, though, that Hong Kong action cinema continued to up the ante rather than, okay, let's yes. get safe stuff first and then we'll resume making our challenging movies. No, they just start, They shot for the sky and really came through and created this ripple into the West, obviously. And, uh, you know, God bless them that this didn't uh, permanently take out... Uh, more people than 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 it did. I mean, yes, in, injuries and stuff, but I think the safety record is no. strangely pretty good. In it's
1: actually pretty good. It's remarkable, really, um, considering you know that's how it was, and and um, the content of their films. I mean, it was just they were there was nothing like it back then. It was hard hitting, fast moving, very creative action, incredible falls and um it was like as if more and more people just couldn't help it, but but tune in to watch it for the pure excitement of the action it was just really really something else
0: throughout those sam Twenty film appearances. Um, I mean, Six we may have
1: been more than twenty movies. I I did a lot of films where I just would go in for a day, right? <laughs> and I never even knew what the name of the film was,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to catalogue these things, I bet even for uh, databases nowadays. So uh, maybe there's more to discover. But uh, yeah. you know, I I can imagine that some movies still stood out because you had a sense of what they were going for. For instance, the Big Deal, which is a a favorite movie of mine, where to me that was Moon Lee and Yukarioshima and, and you all and, and all the makers of these kind of movies getting a chance or taking a chance to, to be funny and to ses, like, like, like send up the female action imagery that was still going on at the time. So were you aware of that those were their intentions when you came on or you just realized that, oh my god, we're doing something goofy?
1: No, I was aware of it. I knew it was going to be a goofy movie when I got into it, and it was a really, really great experience, that film, actually, because by then I'd sort of become friends with Ikari, and and also I'd sort of got to know the crews, you know, because many of the same people worked on the same film. So I felt a bit more comfortable. Initially I felt a little isolated and, and awkward and sat in a corner and wasn't really sure. You know you know, I just felt a little awkward, but I sort of came out of my shell a bit more, and um I just really enjoyed the experience. I was happy that it was a comedy, and that everybody was having a good laugh on the set and Tommy, you know he's a big jokester, and he used to have have all these different pranks and 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 stuff with people and you and was was absolutely fascinating to work with and and spoke good english and um so I got to talk with him a bit.
0: And, and he and he got to switch up his persona as well because he 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 was slotted into that bad guy role, which he played wonderfully well. but Stephen Chow gave him a chance to be funny uh, in his new Snooker movie.
1: No, he was really, really good at it. And yeah. he was a lot like that off camera. Like many of these guys, you know, they've got this hardened exterior and you see their performances and you think, Oh my god, they must be a certain way, you kind of um, but no, when you actually get to know them, they're very, very funny, very jovial and you know, actually very relaxed and and, and, and not at all um intimidating, you know. Um it was really, really great fun film to work on.
0: And you got you, you, you got to do a plethora of things on it, which made me realize that they brought in the likes of you to actually be part of a variety of concepts. Because we're doing a comedy and we can vary things up and we can do crazy stuff. We no, can... it's, funny that
1: it's, it's funny that they sort of made me look like Madonna. <laughs> right you know i had this madonna thing going on and that's really funny because you know later on i got to double her for years and years um but at that time i would never have thought that i would actually be working with madonna you know i ended up doing a show a live show in hong kong in the disco performing her songs and dancing (laughs) it's really weird isn't it
0: (laughs) are you comfortable uh, re-watching um your old uh, movies or at least your own scenes to sort of see where where you were action-wise and where you where you ended up so to say
1: um depends i like i like watching that movie in particular i like hero from behind beyond and a couple of the others and then i kind of cringe at the rest (laughs) for various reasons but i don't i just don't actually like watching myself very much at all anyway so it's kind of I
0: just don't. <laughs> well, you can you can edit together uh, your, your own show reel of the stuff you like and what's uh, what's uh, what you think uh, represented you during that time and uh, the big deal and hero beyond the boundary of time should be in there. I mean that's a weird wild comedy and then you guys come in during the last twenty minutes and the movie changes completely and for the better because that's a movie that tries a lot and the comedy doesn't land and then you guys come in and okay we got an amusement park scenario at an amusement park so. The movie, right. end, the movie ended well, at the very least.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was a blast. it was a really, really, really fun project. I really, really walked away from that one feeling good.
0: How how long are you on a um, a show like Hero Beyond the Boundary of Time? Because yes, it's one sequence, but it's a challenging sequence technically and all of that. Are, are you there for weeks, or how quick were they back then?
1: Well, I think that for me, I was sort of back and forth. I'd be on it for a couple of days, then they would go off and be shooting stuff, and then. You know, I would there's nothing like oh be on hold or anything. They don't carry you through films. It mm-hmm. was just okay, so you know, you work a couple of days, then get wait till get called again for the next scene and then and then work and then just hang out and do other projects and then come back and do what other other else they needed you for. I remember on Story of the Gun, you know, I had that incident where I broke my foot.
0: Oh jeez, really?
1: I was yeah, no, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to finish that film. It was that was when Yukari and I, I think that was when Yukari considered me to be part of her stunt team because it was the first time we got to work together and we did a you know, a fight and stuff like that and, and I thought she was really, really cool. I mean, I, and this is another thing that sort of woke me up was I, I, was, I was really impressed with how many women were working as leads, mm-hmm. uh, and how strong and powerful they were and it, it made me want to be... You know, it influenced me a lot and inspired me a lot. And I thought it was so great that so many women were were playing these very, very strong characters. And Yukari was one of the most, you know, that was most famous at that time out there. Um, or not the most famous, many girls. But she stood out to me because I just liked her intensity. She had a real look about her and... um a confidence and yet a calmness and um, she was very precise and uh, with her action you know everything was very clean and beautiful looking but powerful it wouldn't look like a dancer she looked powerful so she really inspired me we got talking and stuff like that and then what happened on story of the gun was I had this scene um, with um, Gordon Lou and we were coming into this derelict building and all I had to do, it wasn't really a stunt, it was this piddly little thing where I just had to jump through a hole in the wall that was on fire. It, I mean, I, you know, later on, i was much hard done much harder stuff, so it doesn't seem too difficult, but being somewhat still green and inexperienced, I didn't scour the ground for loose stones and rocks and stuff on the other side. And when I jumped over, a, I broke a couple of bones in my foot, um, and landing on a rock and I couldn't walk. Um, but basically what I did was I just, I was having a hard time walking on it and then I had to run down the bloody hill with Gordon <sighs> in this scene and I was limping and I said to the director, I said, you know, I, I think I've done something to my foot, but I didn't go home or any, I didn't go to the hospital or anything. I just finished the day and then when I got home, I couldn't get my sneaker off my foot and I was like, oh, and um, so I managed to get it off with great difficulty and my foot was swollen and all black and blue. Oh, so I, went to, I took myself to the hospital, I took myself in a taxi and, and I went in there and got an x-ray and the doctor said, well, you shouldn't be standing on your foot, get off your foot, you've broken it. So he put a cast on my foot and then I called the director and I said, I'm so sorry, I've broken my foot. And he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> he was like. No, 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 no. He says, you've got the end scene. You've got end fight with Yukari on the boat and coming up. And I said, I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No news to me, buddy.
1: I know. So I said, look, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll be there. And so I cut the plaster off my foot. And I just wrapped it up really tight with some bandages and I showed up to work um, with crutches and he gave me this look like, what am I going to do with you? (laughs) You," And I said, I'm so, so sorry. And he says, it's okay." He says, I'm going to shoot you in the leg and that will justify. Oh,
0: yeah, that's right.
1: On that foot. And I said, great. There you go. (laughs) <laughs>
0: we got it that's that's thinking on your feet man it's
1: uh... <laughs> and so and then we did it you know because But it um, is the story
0: a, of the gun after all so it's the
1: story of the gun so i mean it was you know it was a little painful but no big deal i i just really didn't care all i cared about was finishing the film um and i did and that and and after that yukari said i want you <laughs> i want you <laughs> I says, okay cool
0: <laughs> you passed the test you're broken your foot so welcome welcome to the club <laughs>
1: welcome to the club in its initiation
0: <laughs> but when all of said and done did, did, did the hong kong work dry up or were you thinking i'm at another crossroads i want to take this further so it's time to move on kind of thing or what was the thought process
1: no, 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 things changed. I, I wasn't sure how long I was going to stay there. I was actually, you know, doing really, really well and then, and doing much better and making much more money than I'd ever made in the five years that I'd been there. And then all of a sudden, it was this, um, the changeover was coming in 97, but expatriates were already leaving. This was in 1993, and all of a sudden, the genre started to go away from the modern action drama and moved into period piece, period yeah. costume dramas,
0: That's
1: right. right? And so what happened was the... Kofay started to go down to the Philippines and I went down there and did Raging Cop and I just thought oh god this is going backwards the budget was bad the production was bad the action I didn't like and and I thought Eek, I've really you know I, I kind of want to end on a good note here and I don't think that it's going to change and I although I would have loved to continue to work in Hong Kong, there was no work for me as a guai you know, because Mm. there just wasn't any need for me in the costume dramas. They used some of the guys every now and then as soldiers and stuff like that. But they didn't have any use for us. So since there was no use for me anymore, I figured, well, I better, you know, make a move now. I've got a resume now. I've got some experience. Um, I'll just give it a shot. And so I just said, I'm sorry, Yukari. Yukari said, please come with me to the Philippines. And and I said, I'm sorry, but I think that it would be better for me in the long run, I need to, I would really like to try English language films anyway. Um, I'd like to, you know, experience that and give it a shot. You know, so I
0: left. And Hello again, this is me wrapping up the show. Hope you enjoyed that first part of the interview and hope you take away from even this first chat that there's, you know, inspiration there in the driven way Sophia lived her professional life and still does. And it's as easy as it is hard to have and maintain the right attitude in the way you evolve yourself and so forth. And getting the honor to spend a little time around such driven creators such as Sophia is always a treat and um, inspiration to me personally and uh, tune in next week for the western leg of her creative and professional and personal adventure but for now uh, contact information is even shorter this time for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com relevant links will be in the show post including to social media feeds to subscribe to subscribe to and so forth and uh, thank you very very much for listening to this interview tune in next week hope you enjoy let let us know uh, if you want to hear a particular interview we're going to do our best to make that happen but for now i'm kenny b thank you very much for listening and bye bye